Hold up. What was that? Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here. And it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt free. Hello, Fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello, Fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at HelloFresh.com. Quality sleep is essential. That's why the Sleep Number Smart Bed is designed for your ever evolving sleep needs. Need a bed that's firmer or softer on either side? Helps you sleep at a comfortable temperature? Sleep Number Smart Beds let you individualize your comfort so you sleep better together. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now, save 50% on the Sleep Number Limited Edition Smart Bed for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com awards. Only at a Sleep Number store or sleepnumber.com. Hi, welcome to the Football Writers Podcast. My name's Mike Calvin. I'm joined by John Cross of the Daily Mirror and making a welcome debut, Alison Rudd of the Times. It looks like an old school Champions League final. Real Madrid against Juventus. Beauty against the beasts. Money can't buy English clubs a place in such company. No winners since Chelsea in 2012. Why is that, John? I think that the decline has been very noticeable, I think, in English football since we don't seem to be able to attract the really stellar grade A players, the superstars, like that the Premier did, I think, say, 10, 15 years ago. And I think that's part of the problem. I think a massive decline in defensive standards. I think if you look at the games that, that have taken place last week, for example, I just think you've a dish out time and time again an absolute lesson to us all in the art of defending I think Real Madrid stood stood tall and proud I think and also particularly I think with, with Cristiano Ronaldo's hat-trick. I mean he's just an absolute legend of the game and we always have this Ronaldo v Messi who's the greatest mm-hmm. and I think history I think uh, people will say at the moment Messi clearly but I think history might tell a different story just simply because of what Ronaldo has done what Ronaldo keeps on doing, he's evolved as a player and he just keeps on doing it. And I think you look at those four teams, even Monaco, who have obviously you know, been undone, they're still the great entertainers of Europe. Mm. And you wouldn't put it past them to kind of reclaim and get back into it. And I think they're a class apart, I think, from, from what is on offer in the Premier League. I think the only little bit of tonic or hope for the future for, for the Premier League, I think, is Antonio Conte in Chelsea. Because I think if he can improve and deepen the squad, as he might like, he can offer the tactical nous and knowledge and expertise to perhaps make Chelsea a force again. But my word, we're a long way off it at the moment. Mm. Are we victims of the intensity of the Premier League? And you know, Because it's, it's an all-consuming show, isn't it? Does that get in the way? Uh, by intensity, I think you just mean that there's no easy game in the Premier mm, League, don't exactly, you? Yeah, um, yeah. But I, I, and there isn't. And uh, the schedule that, that English clubs have is, is, is always what, no, no Christmas break and there's no um, sense of putting a team in Europe first above the domestic programme. I accept that. But I think, crucially, it's about the fact that the Premier League, I would argue, is 
is so strong throughout and you don't get that in France, you don't get that in Spain, you don't get that in Italy. You look at the bottom of the tables in those countries and you just think, Pff, so what? Any team in the bottom half of the Premier League can, give, can surprise you on any given day and do... Look at Crystal Palace. Mm. They're in trouble at the moment, perhaps. But the performances, when they're on song and the performances they've put in against the big clubs, have, they've made life so difficult for them. You don't get that. You don't get a bottom six team in Italy doing that on a regular basis there or in France or anywhere. And I think that mentally, more than just physically, is a drain on our bigger clubs. And I think, I think John's right. We don't have um, a wealth of, of star talent in this country, but we don't have depth either. So if you're going to get challenged by a bottom six team or a mid-table mid team, or a top six team, and you don't have the wealth of talent and you have a fairly meagre bench, you are going to be exhausted by the time it comes to even thinking about European competition. Mm. Do you get the sense, John, as I do, that this summer, basically, money is going to be hurled at the problem? You know, we're going to see big fees, probably over 100 million, spent on players just to get them in and... Is that going to be the start of the process where the English clubs can maybe strike back in Europe? Yeah, I, th I think this summer is going to be absolutely unprecedented. I think in terms of fees, in terms of contracts, and I think the money on offer is going to turn heads. I do think the only anecdote to that or kind of, you know, alternative view, I should say, to, to that is Real Madrid are obviously trying to pluck away sort of some mm. of the biggest players, aren't they? Well, Hazard's you know, going to be in the summer saga. Absolutely. I do think that'll be a saga. Look, I, end, I think he'll end up just about staying at Chelsea, but I think that, that they will go for him with huge money themselves. So I do think we sometimes, and David De Gea, I think David De Gea might end up at, at Real Madrid. That's my feeling. But I think sometimes we feel that, that money conquers all for the Premier League and they'll come for the money. But I think sometimes like a player like De Gea, I think he can be, I think he'll just want to go back to his almost, feels like his natural habitat. It feels like a natural pathway um, that eventually he might end up back in Spain. And I think that Hazard probably will in time want to go somewhere else. I just think that money will take us so far. But my concern has been in recent seasons is that the money has been spent hugely, but not very well, I think. Mm. I think Man United obviously broke the bank for Paul Pogba. I think Pogba's been a decent signing, but you you wouldn't say that... Not it, £89 million. Pounds, no, he hasn't thrived under also the, the weight of expectation of, of being a world record fee. Um, and I still think he's been a decent, solid signing for United and will get better. But I think the quality has to be there. And you can't just go fishing and kind of try and get players in for the sake of it. I think City, look at their, their squad, it's so ageing and that's, that's a concern. But, you know, I think, it, I think the English clubs will want to send a message. And, they, for example, they won't want to be beaten on them back uh, from, from Monaco. Mm. And he, he's going to be, you know, again, one of the prime targets for, for every club around the world. Can an English club tempt him or is he going to end up at Real Madrid? Which Those is where he wants to go. Yeah, I think mm. so. And I think, uh, uh, who can blame him in a way? You know, because he's got no ties, I don't think, to English football, has he? And, and you know, if he wants to go and further himself and become a, a global superstar, mm. why, why would he choose the Premier League over, you know, ten extra thousand pounds a week? I, it, mm. To me, it doesn't make and, sense. And, and Real Madrid, don't they, um, Ali? They, they do sell their tradition very well to players. Let's look at Gareth Bale. You know, we often talk about really we need British players to actually export their talent and you know, learn and develop in a new culture. This was meant to be his season. Now he's been fragile in terms of injury. 
there's already talk about will he come back to England. Would you think he might end up back in the Premier League? Um, yeah, I think I don't think that rumour's ever gone away about Gareth Bale. That mm. um, although he um, has highly PR'd meetings with the media and he says all the right things, it doesn't stop leaking out that he would quite like to come back to to this country. Actually, um, it hasn't been an unmitigated success for him. He's had a lot of backing from Zidane, actually, and I think sometimes the supporters have thought, "Why are you, why are you sticking with Bale? Didn't we look more balanced without him?" So he's certainly got on with the manager. He can't, he can't claim it's a sort of a, a, been a sort the of conflict of him as well, doesn't he? Conflict, no conflict personality there between the club. If there's a disconnect, it's between the supporters and what he promised to do and what he's delivered to do. And it's a shame because most of that lack of um, deliverance is, is, is because of his injuries, I think. There are certain players that have to be 100%, especially really pacey ones, they have to be 100%. And if he's not, it's not it doesn't, doesn't work. Mm. And, you know, and Real Madrid, in their last outing, they looked so balanced with Isco in there, who's a really talented player, who's actually been overlooked almost constantly all season. And again, the fans are saying, we, we, we own him and we're not using him. So it does, it does feel slightly like he might be pushed out. Mm. Ronaldo... He seems to almost be maturing in terms of listening to his body more, not actually having a playing every game, resting up. Are there lessons in that for, for Messi? Yeah, I, th I think so. I, th I think Messi is such a different player, isn't he? That they're basically, he's sort of a very efficient player in what he does. He doesn't actually run that much and he, he, his finishing is phenomenal. Um, he's a dribbling player, but he, he's so exciting as a talent. But he just cannot carry on in the style that he does for, forever, as Ronaldo is proving. And I think Ronaldo's a great lesson for him in that basically he's become more of a traditional number nine, hasn't he? And I think that Ronaldo, I love Ronaldo, and I've always felt that Ronaldo sometimes, you, you get dismissed out of hand if you suggest that Ronaldo is better than Messi. And look, Messi's evolved, and I think Messi is now at a higher level than Ronaldo as individuals. But actually, as I say, I do think history will tell a, a different story, simply because Ronaldo, look at his selfless performances in, in the Euros and helping Portugal win the Euros. And again, he's changed. I mean, his, his statistics in the Champions League are absolutely astonishing. And he's finishing last week. It went from the spectacular to the composed to the just absolutely magnificent hat-trick. And, and yet again, he, he's ensured, I think, that Real Madrid will reach the final and he will take centre stage again. The, the guy's an absolute machine. He's a legend of the game. We will look back upon him and say, is he, is he the greatest of all time? He'll be up there, in my view, whereas I, th I, I still think that Maradona is an argument uh, counter against Messi. Messi, I think, is, is wonderful in that, that trio. I just wonder whether that trio now is slightly on the wane and slightly on the dip from where they were, say, a year ago. Mm. You're right, you're right, Mike. Mike. Um, Ronaldo's very economical, and that's probably the lesson Messi could learn. Some, mm. uh, he's almost beyond analysis sometimes, Ronaldo, because he does so much work in his brain. He just arrives at the right point. And you sometimes mm. you think, why, why, does it, why does the ball always fall to him? Why is he always in the scoring position? It's like he assumes slightly flippantly this, but it's it assumes that his strike partners or midfielders will not score. He assumes there's going to be a save and he anticipates every time where the loose ball will be. Mm. And you can't even teach that. Now, I think Ancelotti summed it up when he talked about his hunger. You know, he, he plays with, he said he plays with an empty belly, which, you know, for someone of his celebrity and his wealth, yeah. that's a fantastic compliment. Yeah. 
Whereas Messi looks like Messi looks like he feels he has something to prove every match, and uh, it must be really tough to be so gifted and have such wonderful balance and the ability to run through defences. But you sort of feel he thinks if I don't put on that aesthetic display every ten minutes, I failed somehow. Whereas Ronaldo has risen above that. And he knows if he just scores the winning goal, and that's all he does, that's absolutely fine. Mm. If we look at this season's Champions League, away from the English clubs, the two underachievers, arguably Bayern and Barca, mm. the law of football logic is that they're going to bounce back. There's some talk about Bayern going for uh, Alexis Sanchez. Do you th give any credence to that? Yeah, I do. I just think there's going to be a lot of clubs in for Sanchez, and I think Sanchez will have uh, a lot to choose from. I just think Arsenal will be desperate to sell him abroad if it comes to that. Um, I think there's something in in kind of if Arsenal were to sneak into the Champions League, then it might give it the final year at at Arsenal and see see whether ambition is really greater than it has been this season. Because I don't think you can underestimate also the players' thoughts on that. Because if you are a player who obviously wants to maximise maximise his wealth and value then him on a free transfer in a year's time will just be phenomenal. The contract will be at a completely different level to what he could command, I think, now. Um, and so that is an interesting aspect. But look, I think that Arsenal would be more, much more open to listen to offers from, from Bayern Munich and also um, PSG. I think PSG will still have a big say in that. Man City are absolutely in for him. And so... Arsenal, can you imagine the stick that they would get if Arsene Wenger signs on for two more years and they end up flogging Sanchez to Man City? It's just unthinkable. Yeah. And that's why I think they would be desperate for him if he does go, if it's clear that he won't sign, if it's clear that it could be trouble in the final year, then they'll be desperate to sell him abroad. So Bayern's an option. Mm. The, the semi-finals are, are in a state of flux. If you look at Juventus, this is probably the last chance for that great... Generation which features Buffon and Chiellini and people like that. You've got Atletico Madrid. Okay, they're pretty much out of that tie now, three 0 down. What's going to happen to Simeone? Is Godin going to move on? Griezmann. There's a lot of ifs, buts, and maybes at the moment, aren't there? Yeah, I mean, um, you talked about it being a crucial time for Bayern. I think it's quite straightforward for them. They just, they're, they're, lot of their star players are retiring no Lam, no Alonso and they're an old team they've got to rebuild that's quite clear and it's in, in a way it's quite nice when it's that cut and dry that's what you've got to do and I'm pretty sure Ancelotti will stay and do that um, but Atletico it seems more complicated to me because Simeone renegotiated his contract which is more or less saying I think I really need to think about my future um, there's a sense of um, almost stagnation there where mm. Where are they going to go? That we, I think, I think we almost saw the best of Atletico a couple of years ago. I watched them again, both legs against Leicester, and it wasn't. They were good. They were the better team, mm. but they weren't. They weren't that awesome. But they've got Chinese money. They've got a new stadium coming in. Will they lose something of the almost like the heart and soul of the club? You know, you were at well. The, the fan, the fans yeah. think so. Yeah. I mean, the state. The, yeah, their stadium's great, and. Um, I mean, we all feel it, don't we, when our club is leaving our old home and we worry, we just worry so much about whether it's going to be antiseptic and just hard to get used to. But there is, there is, there is amongst the people there, there is a fear of what, how long it will take to get used to it and whether Simeone will stay. And nobody really expects Griezmann to stay either. Because mm. you look at the West Ham example, you, know, you were at the Olympic Stadium on Friday night. It seemed to me, watching on TV, that 
what we were used to as a, a mausoleum actually became the Colosseum for the night. It was a completely different atmosphere. How did that come across when you're in that stadium? Because it's, it's a pretty um, soulless place at the best of times, but it must have actually taken light that night. Yeah, well, it helped that it was a night game. There was something about... And it Friday night as well. It felt different. And it, and it always helps when it's it's uh, it's the derby game yeah. and um, the other match in which West Ham had managed to make it their place and dominate the game and the uh, own their environment was against Chelsea in the EFL Cup. On both those occasions, they embraced the size of the pitch. They embraced the size of the stadium, and. If you do that, fans will respond. And it doesn't matter what you put the fans in. If you give them on the pitch what they need and there's enough of them there, mm. they will give it back to you. So it's, it's just it's that relationship. If the team are clicking and they clicked from the word go, the fans will give it the noise and the, they policed it beautifully so there was no trouble. So it, it, felt, it felt like you weren't distracted by anything unsavoury, so to speak. But that's what the West Ham have to do. They, instead of moaning about the stadium, they have to, they have to think, look, this is an amazing, amazing place we have. A lot of teams uh, can't cope with space. Spurs didn't cope very well. They're thinking of um, narrowing Wembley. They don't cope with big pitches very well. Spurs struggled with the space. And it's not just on the pitch, it's the whole sense of it. And that's why they've had to do training at the Olympic stadium, away from the training ground, because you've got to get used to that and treat that as a massive advantage. So that when teams come to you, they're slightly overawed. Mm. Instead of you, the home team, being overawed and moaning about getting used to it and thinking back to how Watton Park was really nice. Mm. A lot of debate after that game about um, Tottenham you know, perceived to have bottled it. Now, mm -hmm. I don't agree with that. Uh, if you look at it, nine consecutive wins, seven points better off than last season. I think it's the sixth highest budget in a league which is dictated by money. Mm. Do you think that was fair or unfair? No, I think it had a degree of fairness, really. I, I do, look, Spurs have been on an amazing run. And Pochettino... It was with, 50 points out of 60. Yeah, absolutely. That, that's fantastic. But where does 50 points out of 60 take you? It takes you well, to you, within you, at least four you a, points. You have a race. You do, but it takes you to within four points of Chelsea. And then you go first, and then you have an opportunity, a defining game of the season, to go within a point of Chelsea and put a some pressure on, apply a bit of mind games, if you like, psych them out, give them a weekend to think about Spurs are on our tails. That's why they bottled it. And I'm, I'm sorry, but I do think that they, they did let themselves down. I didn't think the performance was there. Various reasons. I was surprised that he didn't, you know, utilise the three that he's been doing so well all season. Obviously, Walker had a, had a poor game. I think his head's been well and truly turned. And I, I, I just think they were below... Their best son, who's been a great mm. player for them in recent times, he, you know, he wasn't quite as effective. Various factors into it. But I'm sorry, yes, they've they've carried the, the the torch longer than everyone else. But why have they done it so that they could actually be in the mix right at the end? So there can be no question that actually when that ca that that game came, when the real test came, they fell short. Look, they've had a great season overall, but I think if you finish second and then don't win a trophy. Pochettino, for me, has got to win a trophy to really kind of take on to the next level. Mm. And I think that's the disappointment. The, the, for me, the test has been, in recent times, Jose Mourinho, at his best, would go and win that game, basically, when the title crunches on. Sir Alex Ferguson, unquestionably, even Wenger at his best. And that's where I think Tottenham have, have fallen short this time. Mm. What were the vibes from Pochettino afterwards? Because, you know, he's a very emotionally engaging guy, 
he he brings people around him, you know, young players around him in particular. Did he? What was his reaction to that defeat? Uh, he he said he didn't know what had happened, which is curious. Um, the nice thing about the Olympic Stadium is that you're well. It's, well, it's the nice and the bad thing is you're really high up. But mm. the good thing about it is you get a completely brilliant view of the tactics of the the chess match. It's yeah. it's like yeah. when you're in you know, the San Siro, you can see everything mm. properly. You can't always tell who's on the ball, but you can see the patterns really well. And you could see how uh, Tottenham um, didn't just bottle it. They fell, they fell apart tactically, and that's down to Pochettino, who I think is an astonishingly good manager, but he didn't switch the tactics in that game. What you had was they pressed incredibly high, and West Ham almost laughed out loud, because they had, without Andy Carroll there, they were relying on just pace and just scampering through and they did that throughout the entire game and the only um, way of trying to counter that was they, they had Eric Dyer's role seemed to be to either play alongside Victor Wanyama or, sh or scuttle back and be a defender which meant that he spent the entire game looking slightly lost and out of position it looked really quite amateurish for them because they had had a brilliant brilliant season and it was as though everything that could go wrong for Spurs went wrong in that one crucial game which is there was no um, no Spurs player took responsibility it was because they're a young team, so I don't blame them for that. But there was nobody on the pitch saying, right, OK, let's calm down, let's calm down, let's build, build. They either try to play the, the best way they can, which is with those uh, neat little passes, you know, Ali, Kane, Son. If that didn't work, then it was like, oh, oh, mm. we don't know now. So, oh, and we've got all this space behind us. Oh, they'll probably go and score. Very, very naive. Uh, probably all the things you might want to argue are wrong with Spurs, all climaxed in that one match yeah so in terms of the need for experience that leader where do they get that from do they for instance go back to say Manchester United and and bring Michael Carrick back for maybe a season mm. to get that steadying influence do they probably go and rescue Jermaine Defoe from from Sunderland are they the sort of players they should be looking at this summer well, maybe I'm being a bit naive here, but I do think that they are actually not that far away. I mean, they've no. had an am amazing season, and I think part of the issue... But is Ali's identified a real weakness there, that lack of a leader, old head. Yeah, possibly. I think the one, one issue for me is that last season, I think where they, they fell short in the market was they signed Janssen, for example. Mm. He's just not good enough well, for them. Sissoko was a disaster. Yeah, absolutely, and people always excuse that and said, oh, well, we're paying him over instalments. I have to say, that's how 95% of transfers work. You pay it in instalments. So it's an absolute nonsense argument that has been perpetuated as a myth. Uh, I just think that with, with Spurs, I th maybe sacrifice a Walker or even a Dyer and then just try and upgrade, use the money. Because, look, money will be tight because they're moving to the stadium. You mm. can't separate the two. It is going to be a difficult one um, for Tottenham. But, I mean... the their interest, for example, in Michael Keane. I think that would be a good signing, simply because if they the, to sacrifice a Dyer or, or a Walker and then upgrade, and so you've got three absolute top-quality centre-halves, I think, across the back, well, that would be an upgrade. I do think Alderweireld's a good, a good leader, who's vociferous. I think they've got leaders there, but they need a little bit more quality and options. Lamella's absence has been huge, mm. because that, again has limited their options in, in midfield. And as you say, maybe an older head, like revisiting Defoe or something, I know it sounds daft, mm. but he guarantees you goals. If Kane's not there, they're absolutely lost, as they were in the autumn. 
how many points you know did they drop in the autumn mm. and and frankly that's why i think they they succumbed i mean shouldn't underestimate as bad as a result i thought it was on friday night and yes i did think they bottled it to an extent it's been a remarkable upturn under pochettino but i think he needs to take that that next step i don't personally think it's so much about leadership i think it's about finding the upgrades and the, the missing link of quality and their transfer business was disappointing last summer. But you only know it's about leadership when they have a game like that. It's mm. not about leadership when they're winning all the time. No, no. one no one notices mm. who the captain is. Mm. It's when it's tough, then you notice. Yeah, but the leadership also, you know, by definition, comes from the, the dugout. Now, that's what's impressed me about Chelsea this season and Conte, that Conte has done two things. He's made the players he inherited better by working with them on the training ground, and he's got a very, very clear vision of what he what he wants from the team. Can you, Ali, give me some idea of, of how you think he has won Chelsea the title? Well, he's, um, he's, he's, he's part of this Italian breed of coaches who, who know their craft inside out mm. and have the ability to, um, a quirk of genius, if you like. So at Juventus, You've got um, Allegri deciding uh, Mandzukic should play wide left. And everyone went, what? Mm. He can't do that. Genius. Conte does something similar. It's as if they can see the whole picture and see one thing that's going to make a massive difference. And he didn't have much choice because he couldn't buy any defenders in the summer. So he thought, well, uh, okay, it's not working, it's not working. I, w I can build a three-man defence around David Luiz. Again, everyone took a gulp and said, that's ridiculous. Mm. We were all pitying you for having to keep him. And um, stick, you know have him back and um he made it work and so it's it's partly that vision that's and that's genius in a way and that's what separates the good managers from the truly truly brilliant ones that they can see something that no one else sees and if you get it right and he did get it right with instant instantaneous results and everyone at that club will look at him and think everything he says is spot on they will buy into everything he says whether it's how long they train and he wants them to work incredibly hard so they work harder than most teams but no one questions it because they know he's a genius after training is finished he goes for a run himself and the players see him sweating it's as though he he's managed to you know just arrive and immediately embody the spirit of the club and take it up to a new level and it's all about um and he's you know it's not pure genius he's got the best squad in the country i mean the chelsea bench is one that you do look at and think oh that's quite good most others i don't mm. and um so he has that depth um but he mainly sticks with what he knows um the system works the players believe in the system and he's occasionally you think oh really william not pedro pedro not william and it always always almost seems to mm. work out because he spots the fine detail and he's talking about actually creating what he calls my team Mm. next season where it's given the fact that he's probably going to win the title on Friday night yeah that's some warning isn't it it is some warning I, I look I'd love to be able to sort of kind of see him like really go and strengthen in the summer and bring in the kind of wing backs that he feels he needs or another centre half that he feels would strengthen another midfielder perhaps and He's absolutely right. I mean, basically, his squad, the utilisation of the squad is, is tremendous. So you, you've kind of got alternatives, haven't you, in place. You know, you can bring in Fabregas or you could, you know, look to, to Willian. But I think he will need that extra depth to attack it on, on various fronts. And again, he's been talking about that because I think that Chelsea are the one team with his managerial prowess and coaching ability that can make an impression for the Premier League in Europe. And it'll be so important 
on 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 that front. I just think he's he. I think, in my view, he will lose Costa, but then he needs to go and replace it with a Lukaku and someone else, mm. someone that can kind of I'm be a. I'm still not sure about Lukaku. I, you know, I see technical weaknesses, and I'm, I'm wondering about his his temperament as well. Well, I mean, you know, I know we kind of talk about kind of flat track bullies and who he scores against, but I think to rack up that number of goals, I think he's just got. He is a Drogba type, and I think that it would be huge shoes to fill because, in my view, you know, Drogba was the best of his type in the Premier League era. But I think Chelsea would be so much stronger with someone like that who can kind of be up there, lead the line. And I think that Lukaku, at the moment, can only go so far with Everton. I mean, I thought it was really instructive, the game he played against Chelsea, when he barely got a look in. But he was still making the runs. He was still making himself available but I think in a way that Everton that day were off key and couldn't find him. I think Lukaku would be a strong signing. It's just whether you think he'll be £100 million worth Mm. signing because I think that's what it'll take. I don't think 65 or 70 will do it this summer. Talking of squad management brings us quite neatly on to Jose Mourinho. Eight changes against Arsenal yesterday. Still had a team worth £235 million as a starting know, So much for bare bones. Is his ego getting in the way? Oh, that's interesting. Cause I, I would have said, actually, he's burying his ego slightly because he's being so pragmatic. And you can't be as pragmatic as Mourinho is being at the moment without actually d- ditching your ego slightly. Because he, he, I was there. I was there in the room when he said the Europa League was beneath him and beneath Chelsea and not worthy of his attention and he'd rather not be in a competition at all than be in the Europa League. So he's gone on record as saying that. To then say <laughs> it's what he's putting all his, you know, banking on this season with, with a straight face, that's that's not putting your ego first, that's putting winning But the first, narrative is, poor old me, look at me, I'm, I'm, I'm a genius, I'm working with a, a squad which has been decimated by injury, um, I, I need to spend £200 million on this squad in the summer. But hey, I'm, I'm probably going to win two trophies. Aren't I good? Oh, well, Marie, well, yeah. I mean, we could, we, could, we, could, we could fill six shows with the sayings <laughs> of Mourinho and, and, and how annoying he can be. Um, but he gets away with it, doesn't he? Um, I don't know. I don't know. If you, if you were to list, list the things Mourinho's come out with this season and the uh, tactical things he's done... I think he'd be in the negative. I think we'd say, mm, it's not been a great season. His treatment of Luke Shaw throughout the campaign is, even if he's right, which I don't think he is, even if he's right about Luke Shaw needing to be coached from the sidelines, don't tell people that. And never, ever blame one young individual for a defeat as he did against Watford. Mm. That's, I don't see why someone who's won what he's won and been at the clubs that he's been at should go down that bullying route and it sort of gives you a little sliver of insight into a, quite a tough character. Yeah, you've got to be tough to be a manager, but you don't show the world that. Mm. You know, it is a cosy assumption that United are going to win the Europa mm. League, which, you know, we've all fallen into, well, certainly I have, by, by the nature of the question I asked Ali. What about a potential final or a probable final against Ajax? Mm. Young, urgent, they could create a whole world of trouble for United, couldn't they? Well, they could because Jose Mourinho will, it will be defined, make no doubt about it, by the Europa League this season because he, having, as Ali points out, basically putting all his eggs in the, in the Europa League basket, if that then doesn't work out, 
then he finishes fifth or sixth, misses out in the Champions League and finishes with the League Cup. Well, that, that is inferior to, to Louis van Gaal, who <laughs> finished fifth and won the FA Cup. So that's what you're judged against. But having said that, if he goes on to win it, Two trophies placed in the Champions League. For me, that's a remarkable season. It's very fine margins. But I, I, yeah, you're right, Mike. I don't think that you can take it as red that, that they will beat Ajax. I mean, I thought the Ajax result really mm-hmm. kind of took your breath away and is a message of intent, isn't it? The only thing I think about that is that, being realistic, the depth or the gap, I think, between English football and Dutch football is still quite large. Where they can bridge that remains to be seen traditionally and you know we're going back a few few years now English teams would always take Ajax as a given in in the Champions League they'd win those games mm. uh, more often than not I just feel at the moment Ajax are building something quite nice and quite special I mean you know the link up there with the former players is to be admired mm. over miles doing a great job and yeah you're right I mean that that result sent out a, a real message. I think United cannot take it for granted. Mm. Do you think it's important, Ellie, that, that clubs stand for something? Yeah, Because well, what Ajax are doing essentially is, is not recreating, but almost like rediscovering the philosophy of, of Cruyff. And as John said, you know, the older players or the ex-players, Bergkamp, um, going back there to coach, that's something quite valuable and something that maybe we're in danger of missing in modern football, isn't it? Well, when, you, when you're in a country as small as Holland and with the traditions of Holland, we're, we're actually, if you ask anyone about um, Dutch football, they will, they will think what they think. They'll think Orange, they'll think Cruyff, they'll think maybe Ajax. That's it, isn't it? Mm. And so you need, if you lose that, then you've lost any Dutch identity at all. So it is, it is, it's good for Dutch football that Ajax remain as some sort of reputation in Europe. And I think probably where we fail in this country at supporting our representatives in the competition in mm. Holland, they would see it as carrying forward that, that Dutch tradition, if you like. And goodness knows the Dutch national team are failing miserably at the moment. Um, so, yes, Ajax is all they've got at this moment in time to carry on that tradition. And if you don't, I think if you, if you try and compete with the rest and ditch that, you're left with nothing there. Mm. So it's almost all you've got, really, is, is that loyalty and that feeling that it's a special place which has consistently produced great players, actually. Mm. Um, very elegant players with vision and um, joy to watch. So, yeah, in a way, it's lovely and it's important, but it's also the only choice they've got, I would say. Yeah. The choice at Arsenal. If we, let's take it as read that Wenger is going to sign you know, this fabled two-year contract. How do you think it's going to play out there, John, over the next six months to a year? Oh, I, I, I do think it, it's the wrong choice. Look, I think it's 90% that he'll stay. I've always been kind of, you know, consistent on this. I don't think it's absolutely. Because basically, can you imagine the end of the season where, you know, if they have a meltdown, they don't make the top four, they lose the cup final, it gets really messy and ugly. I think Wenger, you know, he wants to stay. And I think the great probability is that he will stay. But I do still think there's a little bit of doubt. And while there's that doubt, I think some, some fans who want him gone, you know, could, could potentially seize on that. But, look, I think it's the wrong choice. I think it's stale. Uh, I think it needs complete overhaul. I think the squad isn't as, uh, as strong as, as, as perhaps, you know, it has been in recent seasons. It needs new fullbacks. It, it probably needs 
someone you know as a as a new sort of kind of you know check successor in the longer term for example he needs a new number eight he needs new wide players he needs a new center forward i mean it's honestly the squad to be competitive in my view is miles off absolutely miles off and i don't know whether wenger has got the hunger or the desire for that in the longer term i mean we talked a good game last summer when he when he said, talked about kind of in march or april time being a real summer of change then it just didn't happen because they sneaked into second place if Arsenal sneak into the Champions League places, win the FA Cup, everyone will say, oh, he's done it again, it's a brilliant season. But you know what's coming, he'll resist the change again and you know try and muddle through. For Arsenal to actually be competitive, this summer demands change. And if they can't get it with the manager, then I think you have to applaud the board for trying to instigate change behind the scenes in terms of a you know, director of football, in terms of coaching staff. I'm not convinced that it's a good idea at all, but... Yeah, I think the likelihood is he stays. But the fact remains, they beat Southampton on Wednesday. And they go above Manchester United into fifth. Are we on one of these last-ditch, last hurrahs into fourth place? I'd quite like that to happen. It's so funny. <laughs> <laughs> it's so funny, and, and, and it's what happens, you know. So, you know, death taxes fourth. I mean, you've got to... You've got to say, it seems yeah. unlikely, and yet I wouldn't rule it out at all. Yeah. It's, any manager operating now who has the knack of that late run into the top four, he does. Yeah, depends on how many dry pitches Liverpool will have to play on. Did you see? Oh. Did you hear that excuse? <laughs> Is that one of the worst excuses you've ever heard? It was ridiculous. Like, you know, it's, it's right up there or down there with the we wore grey shirts so we couldn't see one another. Absolutely ridiculous. I mean, look, I think it's, it's more of an issue. Although Moreno was trying to sort of kind of you know, do you see the bottle spinning? You know, maybe he was trying to water the pitch somehow. <laughs> but um, but he was just, yeah, I just couldn't believe that. I was surprised at, at, at Jurgen Klopp with, with, with that one because. Look, I think it's clearly affecting their mentality at the moment. The nerves are on. And I thought, you know, Prudel could have easily pegged them back at Watford last week um, with, with the last gasp yeah, miss, which the, would have been an absolute bar, disaster. Yeah. Absolutely, if it's six inches lower. That's a crazy result for, for, for Liverpool, who actually dominated the game. But, you know, they just couldn't get it done against Southampton. Southampton were resilient. And Liverpool were just missing that, that zip and kind of earlier season confidence that they have. And you can't tell me that that's anything other than kind of last-ditch nerves. I think that Liverpool will finish top four. I do. And I think that if you assess where Klopp has come from in his first full season, it's still work in progress. I think that's a brilliant return. But the nerves, I mean, are certainly on. They've got to go to West Ham and win. And, you know, that will be their toughest fixture. It is great, actually, as, an, as a neutral to watch that, you know, where the nerves are jangling and, you know, people's heads are exploding. That's Liverpool. Are they almost prisoners of their own identity there? That you know, that with Klopp they really pressed hard. You know, you've got the emotional intensity of the club. Can that actually work against them? Um, you mean the history, the, the club's the, the history. history, but also you know, you go to an Anfield. And Klopp is a bit like Conte. You know, he's he's a he's a, a marionette on the on the touchline. He gets the punters involved. There's real over open emotion. And that creates an atmosphere that um, maybe counts against them at times. Well, I, th I think that's really interesting you say that because I think often at Anfield there hasn't been enough emotion. Yeah. The, the fans will wait for the team to do something to get them going, and if they don't, and if you know they're you know 
this is going to sound slightly odd, but I think they're, they're, they've traditionally always been really intelligent, really quite um, harsh on the team at Anfield. They watch. They don't pretend they're seeing something they're not seeing. Mm. If they, if they think, oh, they probably, you know, the same people were there for the, for the, for, for the times that um, Puel at Southampton has outwitted them before. And they're probably thinking, well, come on, Klopp, can't, can't you change it up a bit because you're playing into Southampton's hands? That this, mm. is, this is easy for them. A lot them. of moaning about substitutions, wasn't there? It was waiting too long. Yeah, exactly. So, but no sense that Klopp had got one over on someone else. So the crowd will be quiet. And you need, you need the emotion at Anfield for when things are tough and a, a team have come dif- with a defensive attitude. So I would, I would argue the opposite is true. Mm. I think Klopp um, is an emotional man and he, he thrives on emotion, but he has to find a way to kickstart it from the stands, which then conveys itself to the players. And then you get those amazing results when you wonder where they came from, were they sort of shankly magic or not. Mm. He hasn't quite got there yet. Nerves. Speaking of those, Saturday we've got um, Hull at Palace, Swansea at Sunderland. You know, the, the gap in t- financial terms between staying in the league, £105 million, and going to the Championship where you get £5 million is huge. Who's going to go down? Well, I, honestly, the nerves is the whole issue, isn't it, around this? Because never in a million years did you see Sunderland going to Hull and winning on the back of what the season that they've had and on the back of Marco Silva's amazing record at home, you know, throughout his career and in, in never having beaten uh, been beaten in the home game in the league throughout his career. But nerves played their part. Sunderland shackles were off, the nerves were off and they go and win the game. It was, it's just unthinkable. And now I just think that the, the pendulum has, and the momentum has certainly gone in Swansea's favour. Um, and you'd have to say it really favours Swansea. But could Palace be dragged into it by Hull winning there? Honestly, Hull, when they've been disciplined and, and, and drilled by Silva, and I think some of their performances have been great Saturday apart, they've been really difficult for even the better teams to, to break down. And they will be very tough opponents. I just think with Palace, Palace will be safe because if you look at the goal difference, it will take two results. And you've only got two games left for them to, to go down. I can't see that. But I think that Swansea will surely now, having shown such character and nerve, particularly, I think, more impressively by getting something at Man United to keep themselves in the mix, um, almost more than winning the game Saturday, I, I just think they'll go to Sunderland and win. And then I think that arguably might even be enough. What a huge result it was. Huge turning point. And I think Swansea will survive now and Hull go down based largely on that Sunderland game. What about Palace, Ali? Yeah. Uh, Sam was in almost Aladici mode on Saturday talking about the benefits of mindful rehearsal. Well, what's been going on there with these last three defeats? They looked to, to me to be a team which had actually mentally said, OK, we're safe. Let's get the flip-flops out. Yeah, he, yeah, he criticised his players for possibly thinking that. But he's been the one who's mm. been telling people 38, 39 points is probably all right. Whereas every other manager has been saying, oh, we need 40 or 41. Mm. Whether that's true or not, it doesn't matter. The point is you keep pushing that limit so that your players have that hunger and fear. If, if your management team are saying 38, 39 is probably all right, what are you going to do as a player? You're not going to be scared enough. You're not going to be... Well, you know, that extra... 
an intangible you go into a match with when you're playing against whether they're a big team or a smaller team. You need that something extra, don't you? And, and, and Palace have looked... I don't know, flip-flop's probably a bit too strong, but they have... I was worried also that some... I mean, a lot of what Allardyce does that is brilliant is, is that he is really good at analysing the opposition and letting his team know this is what we have to do. And when he gets that right, it's always so impressive because he often gets it right against a big team and it's a shock result. But sometimes that can, you can do too much of that and uh, they've looked overcoached to me of late, the Palace players. Their formation at City and the way they responded, it, it, none of it made sense. So you sort of feel that, that just the, whole, the whole experiment of going to the Etihad and playing that way, it fell, fell apart. And they looked like a team that had been asked to do too many things and they just thought, oh, we can't. Mm. Yeah, that was from pretty much from the get-go, wasn't it, in, in terms well, of that game? It doesn't help if you concede early, Yeah. but presumably you are told this is what we do if we concede early, but they look like that wasn't in the... Mm. Paul Clement, mm. by, by common consent, you know, a hugely promising coach. Um, now it's a different matter being you know, the top dog, as it were. He's spoken about relegation, avoiding relegation, being... Uh, almost more significant in his career than actually winning a Champions League. Do you get that? I do from his perspective, simply because it's his first go of being the main man and the manager, and he wants to put himself out there and be seen, I think, as not just the kind of the backup artist and kind of the support act, but, but the manager. I, I've been really impressed with him. I, look, I do think a couple of weeks ago, I thought that they would... They had this incredible surge where he took over, it took a while for him to, to really take shape, then they had the surge, then you had the drop away, and he thought, oh, they're yeah, back in it. one point in six games. Yeah, yeah, really, really disappointing run. And from there to now be out of the drop zone is a remarkable testament to his character. And I think that shines through in the way that he talks and the way that he gives answers. From what I gather, I mean, he's as good an organiser, so the players know exactly what they're doing as much as he is a coach. And I think players, you know, want to know what, what, what they're doing to, to a, a certain extent, you know, what, what tomorrow holds, what, what, what they're going to do in training, what they're going to do on the pitch. And I think that, that shines through in their organisation. And let's and give play. credit to Leon Britton. Yes. Because yeah. he, was, had, he had not played under Clement at all, uh, hadn't moaned about it either. Clement picks him, so he feels, uh, Britton feels, well, I can be part of the team now. He gives every single player a copy of a DVD about how Swansea mm. came from near mm. destruction. And, and, and they pay for 3,000 fans to go to Sunderland on Saturday, the players? But, the, but it was Britain who got the players back yeah. to thinking, because yeah. um, after the defeat to West Ham, I was unimpressed with Paul Clements, because he, he, used, he used the word anxious and anxiety about 53 times. And I thought, hang on, this isn't going to work. If you say the negative word often enough, they're just going to feel continually mm. feel that anxious, mm. aren't they? How are you going to stop it? So we asked him, how are you going to stop the team feeling anxious? I don't know. We'll just have to work on the training run. They needed that little bit of magic, which was Leon Britton saying, come mm. on, we're part of a special project here. Mm. Let's all remember what this means to this part of Wales. And um, credit to Clement for giving Britain the chance to do that. And they've, they've, it is impressive the way they've as you said, I was worried they'd, they'd had their moment. And it's also impressive that they, yes, they drew at Old Trafford, but they should have won that game. Mm. Lorente missed a sitter. For that not to affect their morale as well, and to think, OK, well, let's just focus on the fact we got a point and that we shouldn't have got three. And they've, they've kept that, that mm. sense of we're on an upward trajectory going, and it's very impressive. Okay. There's a final point, very quickly. Um, Angolo Kante, mm. uh, named this morning as the Football Writers Player of the Year, 
So that's the double done because he got the PFA award. Agree with that? Absolutely. I voted for him. And um, I mean, it is bizarre, isn't it? That basically everyone's voting for a defensive midfield player. Um, you know, someone was taking the mickey out of me. A sort of broadsheet colleague was sort of basically saying, I can't believe a red top has voted for a defensive midfield player. And you're sort of championing that. But I just, I just think as he did, and I voted for him last year as well, I just think he, he was the difference last year for Leicester. He's the difference this year for Chelsea. He's absolutely everywhere in games. You just think, where's that guy come from? And he's just breaking up play. And, and then I think he's got so much better this season because he drives forward much more as well from Chelsea in that system. I think he's absolutely terrific. I couldn't agree more with it. Ali? Yeah, it, it, I mean, what he does is it makes it feel like Chelsea are somehow cheating and they're playing with 12 men. And that is such a... Well, what, what, no greater compliment, really, because he, he does crop up where you don't expect him to. He covers so much ground and reads the game beautifully as well. Well, he came from nowhere, and as John said, he seems to be everywhere. Great choice. Thanks for joining us here on the Football Writers Podcast. up what was that boring no flavor that was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week kiki palmer here and it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt-free hello fresh jazz up dinner with pecan crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi now that's music to my mouth hello fresh let's get this dinner party started discover all the delicious possibilities at hellofresh.com